how to avoid burnout or limit it mm-hmm. uh, from the from the from the jump start. And the way to do that is to choose to work on projects or at companies or in ventures where you're going to enjoy the process more than the end result. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Create Your Life series, where we help you maximize your potential and results in the area of personal development, entrepreneurship, and travel. And I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown. Create your life. Create ta propre vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create la tua vita. Create your life. Don't skip your life. You better create your life. <laughs> create your life. Create la vie. Create your life. Create your life. Beautiful people, this is the Create Your Life series. I'm your host, Kevin Y. Brown, and as you know, we're bringing you another great episode of the Create Your Life series to talk about today's guest. Um, He's an experienced web, software, and music entrepreneur who's passionate about SaaS, B2B sales, uh, team building, social impact, and entrepreneur, entrepreneurship. Uh, He's the CEO and co-founder at We Did It, which is a New York-based tech company that helps nonprofit organizations fundraise online and he's been in the CEO seat for the last six years and he's helped hundreds of nonprofit organizations raise funds and find donors through through we did its innovative technology um, some of we did its customers include Amnesty International Network for teaching entrepreneurship NYC coalition against hunger the LA Zoo and stupid cancer and he is now working on a new venture called dollar ride on the side we're talking about an innovative Gentlemen, uh, one who's won competitions, raised seed money for his companies. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is no longer, I mean, no other than Mr. Sue Sani. Sue, please say hello to the Create Your Life series family. How's it going, family? This is Sue Sani here. And Kevin, thank you. Thank you so much for that that introduction. I really appreciate it. Yeah. No, Sue, um, dude, you know, having an opportunity to meet you at the Black Enterprise uh, Entrepreneurship Summit, um, just seeing you, you know, you know, getting a, a little bit of your energy. I was like, this guy has to be on the show, uh, doing amazing work, doing, you know, just some awesome things. Um, I would want to go back, if we can, and talk about, you know, your interest in just working with nonprofits um, before we did it, you know, in your journey. Um, where did that interest, like, how did that even come about? Where's that spark from? Well, you know, there was actually two different events in my life that, directly pointed me towards the nonprofit world. Mm -hmm. So the first thing was, you know, growing up in New York City, I, um, you know, I was a a kid who grew up in the, in Eastern, sorry, in in a part of Brooklyn called East New York, Mm -hmm. uh, which historically has been a really rough part of town. It's like on the the outer, outer outskirts of Brooklyn. And, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, it's tougher to find opportunities out there. So there's a lot of poverty, a lot of drugs and violence. And I grew up around those things. But I I came from a household where my parents really valued education and working hard. And they did whatever they could to get my sisters and I 
involved in activities that would be constructive and, and not, you know, things that would keep us on the streets and, and uh, you know, put us in harm's way. So long story short, I joined an organization called the Boys Club of New York, mm. uh, which is sort of like an after school program. They have six different clubhouses all around the city. And the Boys Club's mission is to provide a safe, constructive place for young men to get involved in activities that keep them off the streets, but, you know, pro- progress their lives. Mm-hmm. So I started going to the boys club just to play basketball. Yeah. But eventually that led to, you know, getting homework help after school, mm-hmm. going to summer camp, uh, you know, joining other competitions and things that were more related to academics. And most importantly, taking a, a group of standardized exams to, to go to boarding school and private school. Mm. So, um, you know, what really happened for me is going through the boys club just introduced me to a whole new world of, of opportunities and activities that transformed my life. And I got to a point as a young adult where I had gone to private school and it was completely all paid for through the boys clubs relationships. I had gotten a scholarship at college at Boston College, and I attributed those things to the boys club and my experience with that organization. So during my first year, during my first job out of school, mm-hmm. I wanted to give back to the boys club. Now I was making money. You know, I was I was a working professional and I thought, you know, this is my time now to show the boys club, you know, how much I'm indebted to them and how much I appreciate the work they're doing. Mm. And um, that was when I just realized, you know, that I wanted to do something that that gave back and that benefited other people. And because I had a connection with the Boys Club, you know, it was a no-brainer for me to, to work with that nonprofit first, amongst others. Um, and then the, the second thing that happened in my life was um, I was at I was during I was working at uh, an investment bank. This is my first job out of school, and you know I was super proud of myself because every day I would wake up, put on a nice suit, and head over to Wall Street. And you know, for the first time, you know, I really felt like I was an adult and I was making money and, and you know, I, I was I was really proud about the progress I've made. Mm-hmm. And I remember one particular day uh, I was talking to my mom on the phone and she, you know, she, like all moms do, she just wanted to find out what was her son up to that day. Right. She's mm-hmm. just checking in. And, you know, you guys don't know, but my mom is a pharmacist and she's been in healthcare all her professional life. Right. So. Okay. When she asked me, you know, what would you, what did you do today at work? I just started spitting all this banking and investment jargon at her, um, you know, and, and she, quite frankly, she just stopped me. She said, you know what, Sue, it sounds like you're doing really important stuff, but I don't know anything that you're talking about, <laughs> right? So I was, I was using terms like, you know, I had to uh, invest a billion dollars into this other bank, which is a global custodian and time mm-hmm. deposits and interest rates and all these things that, you know, was really just going over her head. Right. But essentially she stopped me and she asked, you know what? I don't understand those things, but maybe you can tell me what did you do today that helped other people? How many people did you help today? Mm. You know, right. Cause that's, that's the world that she lives in. She can almost quantify her impact by thinking about the number of people that she touched or the number of people that she helped. So that's how she sees the world and how she sees the work that her, her family is doing. 
And when she asked me that question, Kevin, I kid you not, I was just stuck. Like, I, I couldn't even muster the words to describe what I was doing that was making an impact on people's lives. Mm -hmm. And it was from that day that I realized that, you know, never again do I want to take a job or work in any field that doesn't impact other people, that doesn't actually help the average person or everyday people get ahead. And um, not too long after that, you know, I, I quit my job and ended up starting We Did It. To, to work with nonprofits who are impacting people's lives on a daily basis. What would you say is like the time frame uh, between when you quit your job, that conversation with your mom, to when you quit your job? Um, that might have been about three months, actually. Okay. Um, to be and, and to be more clear, so I, I left that investment bank job, and then um, I started a company. It was actually not, uh, we did it at that time. It was a recording studio and production company. Mm -hmm. um, but I still, it was through that other company that I started having these ideas about fundraising for nonprofits because I still was tied to the boys club and, and helping them fundraise. Um, but overall, you know, it, it only took a few months before I decided to make a change after having that conversation with my mom. Okay, so one of the things is is that, you know, a lot of times people, they want to transition from being in corporate, um, you know, but there's a lot of things that have to be in place before. So can you talk about some of the habits, maybe saving habits or things that you did before you just said, oh, you know what, and, you know, this is the third month since I had that conversation with mom, I quit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know. Like, where you living at home, you know what I mean? Because that's an advantage, especially being in New York City. You know, if you live with your parents and you're saving more money than somebody who, like, I'm from California. So if I, I live here, you know, I'm, I have to pay rent. There's nowhere where I'm living for free. You know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. No, you bring up some great points. And these are things that I definitely thought about and planned around during that time where I was uh, considering quitting my job or, you know, just thinking about the transition. So... You know, some of the things that were important to me and that I made sure was solidified before I made the leap was some savings, right? Mm -hmm. So leaving the investment banking job, you know, I was pretty well paid. So um, I knew that, you know, if I were to, to quit or to, you know, part ways, I at least had about six months worth of rent and savings available. Mm -hmm. And therefore, I wasn't, you know, scratching and clawing just for the next job or the next opportunity. I could actually take my time, be more thoughtful and deliberate about the next venture. Mm -hmm. So savings as much as possible is helpful. And, um, you know, I think it's also helpful to underestimate how long it's going to take uh, sorry, overestimate how long it's going to take mm -hmm. to get the next job or to, you know, start the next business. So um, I can't tell you how many times, you know, through the years, you know, I would make some projections about how quickly it'll take me to get to, uh, you know, creating the company, like the actual corporate legal structure, or maybe even just leaving a job and getting the next job. And at the end of the day, you'd rather... Um, uh, under promise and over deliver even for yourself. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I tried to do when I was transitioning out of um, one company, it was a sales company called uh, the Meltwater Group. Mm 
Um, I had worked there for a year, and then it was during that time where I really started focusing on We Did It, and I knew I wanted to leave that company, but I actually you know, saved and planned on leaving that company to start my own for probably four months. So, you know, all every day I'm still going to my day job, but on nights and weekends, I'm working on We Did It, I'm talking to people, and, and I actually brought on a, a business partner, mm-hmm. and we planned ahead of time to leave our, our current full-time jobs, our day jobs, mm-hmm. to work on We Did It full-time. So, you know, I guess the third element in all this is to, to plan ahead or plan for the long term. Mm-hmm. And that might mean, you know, sacrificing, uh, grat- uh, uh, you know, sacrificing some things in the short term in order to reach your long term goals. So, you know, we uh, my, my co-founder and I, his name is Ben Lampson. Um, at one point, we were working at the Meltwater Group right. together. But we had probably we had saved and and um, collaborated on this idea at the time, which became we did it for about four months before we left that job. So um, you know it was it was helpful thinking about things in terms of you know three, four, and six month timelines because it really helped make things um, more reasonable for us, more achievable. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Did you? So you're talking about the Meltwater Group, but I'm assuming that that's not the company that you work for on Wall Street. Correct, correct. Okay, so you had the conversation with your mom, and then you uh, you quit three months later. Now, during that time after you quit and you were running a vi- video and production company, did you pick up another job at Meltwater, and then you decided to then quit there and then start your own venture again? How did that journey, that part of the journey, uh, manifest? Yeah, you um you, you you actually got the sequence correct, but I'll give you guys more details. So um from leaving uh the investment bank, mm-hmm. um, you know, I spent a few months uh just kind of thinking about what is the next thing I wanted to do, and almost immediately I got involved in um a startup company with some friends of mine from college mm-hmm. where we where we bit we started in a uh, production company and recording studio in Harlem. And um, that was a fantastic opportunity and experience for me because it really taught me the very fundamentals of entrepreneurship and small business ownership. Mm-hmm. Um, that production company never grew to like a huge, uh, you know, stature in terms of revenue or business, but we did have, you know, many dozens of clients, all of whom were artists and managers. Uh, we generated enough revenue to pay rent, you know, for our office space and, and studio space in Harlem. And, you know, we operated for about two and a half years before we had to close things down. Nonetheless, I learned a ton about myself and how to work with people professionally as an entrepreneur, which really gave me, you know, a lot of like energy and juice for the next thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, at this time, though, you know, having gone now two and a half years trying to build a company on your own, you know, I had already blown through nearly all, if not all of my savings. So I did have to go back to the corporate world to get another job. Mm-hmm. But the key difference here at this point, and I think this is the most, probably one of the more helpful tips for the listeners, mm-hmm. is that I had a real purpose mm-hmm. for myself as an entrepreneur now going into this new full-time job. So, um, to be more clear, 
you know, I, I knew at this point that the next that I, that, that I was an entrepreneur at heart and that I wanted to start my own business, but I wanted to do it right because I had just come off of a failed company, the uh, production company in the recording studio. And one of the things that I thought I was missing that really hurt us as a business was I didn't have sales experience. I didn't know how to, um, you know, structure a sales deal mm-hmm. that you know, might've generated 10 or 50 or a hundred thousand dollars. Right. And it was those types of opportunities that we needed as a business, but I didn't really have the experience to execute on those things. Mm -hmm. So I purposely chose to work at a software company where I would be a salesperson selling software that had that, that, uh, contract value, right. Anywhere from $5,000 a year to $50,000 a year. I specifically sought out that experience. And long story short, you know, after about a year, a uh, year and a half of working at Meltwater, where I learned how to sell software to corporate clients and the Fortune 500 companies, I had a, a, a tremendous amount of confidence in myself and my ability to build a team and also sell whatever we were building. So, you know, that was really the sequence of events and the reasons why I had gone from, you know, one company to starting my own, then to another company. Mm-hmm. You know, I was purposely seeking experiences that would prepare me for the next venture. And, you know, fortunately, it worked out as I planned. Dude, I love it. And I really appreciate your transparency there because, as you said, you know, overestimate how long something's going to take you. And you you have to go back to the drawing board. But when you went back, just having that purpose makes such a huge difference in what opportunities you say yes to and uh, what you say no to. Because a lot of times saying no is actually a superpower and very important for you to stay um, focused on your journey. Um, Absolutely. Um, then, you know, the last thing I'll say, too, about this is mm-hmm. I was lucky to have people around me and a little bit of, of self-awareness to realize where my gaps were as mm-hmm. an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's something that you can gain by one, surrounding yourself around positive, constructive people um, or people who have a little bit more experience than you do in the field that you're going into, because they're, they're going to tell you where you're where you're shitty at. Right. They're right. going to tell you what you need to improve on. Um, so I, I had that. I benefited from that. And then you know, secondly, I wanted to get better at the things that I wasn't good at. So, you know, having that level of self-awareness can help you plug those holes in your game. And then when you do make the leap, you'll be far more prepared than you would have without having done that self-reflection. So um, that's something that I, I would highly encourage people to do before they make the leap from their, their corporate job into entrepreneurship. Okay. Before I ask you, you know who your peer group is who's in your circle i have to mention the fact that i grew up in the continentals of omega boys and girls club myself in california and oh wow that that organization and that um that particular club is the reason why i'm here today it actually like you said you know i started attending when i was about seven years old and i really just went in because there was you know, this opportunity to uh, be around other kids. But, you know, of course, playing basketball and stuff like that, you know, you had to go to study hall and you had to do book reports right. and you got to go on college tours and things like that. And so that's what really uh, helped to really lay the foundation for me academically. And so I just wanted to 
say, man, we, we're kindred spirits in that regard, man, that we both have that, that similar experience. So, you know. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a, there's a lot of folks out there like us who've had similar experiences with, you know, the Boys and Girls Club or the Boys Club, mm-hmm. um, you know, these types of organizations all around the country. They're, they're definitely doing great work. Yeah, absolutely. And it matters, you know. Um, So that being said, you just talked about awareness and having people in your corner who would tell you, you know what I mean, when you're right, when you're wrong and call you out. What does your peer group look like now? You know, how has it evolved over time? And yeah. Well, you know, I got to say that I'm always eager to um, broaden or strengthen my peer group. Right. Because as you transition or change um, your own self, uh, you're going to need different groups of people around you mm-hmm. to help you at the new stage in your life. Right. So, you know, for me right now, some of the people that I that I confide in and that I look up to that I would call a part of my peer group would be uh, currently my my business partners you know, there's one guy who's an engineer. He's a um, a fantastic software developer and manager. Mm-hmm. And you know, I couldn't be where I am today without the knowledge that he's helped me. You know, learn um, when it comes to building software and building you know tech products. Um, so whenever you know, when it comes to like anything technical, I I go to him for questions. But I've also tried to mirror his thought process and the way he deconstructs problems. Mm. Um, so it's sort of like becoming an engineer through osmosis, right? Like gotcha. I, so that, you know, that, that helps. And then, you know, I got you know, several business people around me, folks who've created successful companies in the past or um, who I'm working with currently right now, one of my business partners. You know, these people I look up to because I know they have skills that I don't or they have experiences that um, I'm, I'm looking to have in the future. And, uh, you know, it's helpful having them around me. One of, so one of these guys, his name is Ben Lamson. He's a, a, an amazing salesperson and just business mind. Um, he was actually my sales manager at the Meltwater Group uh, until we both left to, just to start We Did It Together. So he's someone that, you know, I always look to for business advice and help or just, you know, um, just to spar, just to go back and forth and, and sharing ideas. Um, and then, you know, outside of those two guys who are who I work with on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. there's probably another layer of people that I surround myself with who essentially demonstrate like a diversity of skills and walks of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at this stage of where I am right now, I think it's uber important to just have um, a breadth of knowledge amongst different fields because, you know, sometimes the insight that you might gain in one field can help you in another, and although, although those fields are completely different. So for that reason, you know, my girlfriend and a lot of her friends are designers. They're either fashion designers or they design software and websites and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I love hanging around with them, including her, mm-hmm. because they, they, they're schooling me on the future of design and user interaction and consumer behavior. 
So that's you know that's something I try to do in terms of my peer group. Stick around designers. They always seem to be on the cutting edge or have their their fingers on the pulse in terms of what people really want when it comes to products and services. Well, let me ask you this. You, so if you're around these people, it sounds like you're around a lot of amazing people, right? And you get input from from many different sources. What are some of your strategies to creating a strong team and uh, selecting your partners? You know, because everybody can give good information, but not everybody will make a good component to a team. So can you give us maybe like three or five, you know, things that you look for when creating something like that? Yeah. You know, team building is hard for sure, but there are definitely some things you can do to make it easier on yourself. But nonetheless, whenever you're building a team, the first thing you got to realize and and plan for is that, you know, building a company or a founding team is really like getting into a long-term relationship with the other person or the group of people. So the same type of mindset you might want to have if you were going to marry your your high school sweetheart or get into a long-term relationship with with you know with someone you want to think about this relationship with your business partners or your team in the same way um, so that's that's the first thing you know it's it's a marathon not a sprint when it comes to building a team and building the right team um, the second thing though that i did with we did it especially and I, I'm doing with the next venture with Dollar Ride is clarifying what um, my risk profile is and therefore what the risk profile of my team and partners should be. So what I mean by risk profile is, you know, every person at, at different stages of their lives have a uh, a specific amount of risk that they can um, accept. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if if you are, uh, you know, let's say, uh, freshly out of out of college, and you don't have any student loan debt, you're living at home, um, and you know you don't have a job, this might actually be a good time to start a company because you're really free, right? And you're, you, are, you aren't spending a lot of money to live. You're living at home. You know, your expenses are manageable. Mm-hmm. Um, however, your partners may not be in the same position you're in. So if you were to choose a partner, you want to choose someone who can also put in as much work and effort that you can given their situation or given their risk profile. So... Um, you know, this can play out in a number of different ways depending on everyone's situation. But the point is to be really upfront, honest, and, and transparent about what people's personal needs are and what level of risk they can take on financially, socially, uh, and even time-wise. And I think if, if people do that in the beginning, they have a better chance of choosing the right partners because it'll be like putting pieces of a puzzle together as opposed to sticking, um, uh, what's it called, a, a, a round peg through a square hole. Gotcha. Or a square peg through a round hole. Gotcha. Okay. Um, how, has being a, being, how has being a non-technical co-founder and CEO affected your journey and ability to get things done? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, what it, what it has done 
so as a non-technical co-founder, as what has happened is I've had to really trust um, the the explanations and the information that's coming from my my technical co-founder or my business partner who is a true engineer. Mm-hmm. So very early on, because I didn't really know the the ins and outs of building software and all the implications of the decisions we we're making, it became clear very quickly that I had to trust my partners mm-hmm. um, as soon as possible and probably more so than I would have naturally um, because I just didn't have the knowledge and the experience they did when it came to building software. So I think as a, as a non-technical person, it's, it's very important that you find the right people who can build the product for you or with you. And then when you're working with them, you got to have a level of trust to allow them to do what they do best. Um, but then also just, you know, learn as much as you can along the way. So in the ways that these things have impacted me, I had to really study as much as I could what was going on as it was happening um, and, you know, read up on software development methodology and and ask questions to my CTO and then eventually our engineers whenever I was curious about something. So, um, you know, I think the, the impact that this has had on me is that, you know, it's made me like a long, a long, a lifetime learner, mm-hmm. um, right? And um, it's also made me more, um, how can I say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm easy to trust people, uh, especially engineers or developers or folks technical when I'm working with them, because I know where my knowledge gaps are. Um, but I do realize that there are other ways I can figure out if work is being done to the standards that I have or if, or if what I'm hearing from them is actually the truth. Mm-hmm. Um, what are some of those yeah, ways? Those, those, are, those are the things that I've, I've had to go through and the way it's impacted me. What are some of the ways or are the benchmarks that you use to make sure because you don't speak the language and you don't know these things because it's not your background? What are some of those ways that you make sure that work is being done to the standard that you need and that someone is actually being uh, truthful? Sure. So the, the, the quickest thing or the quickest answer I can give is um, on one end, you know, you just got to learn as you go. Right. So the more you learn and the faster you learn as a non-technical co-founder, mm-hmm. the better you'll be at being able to assess talent and determine whether things are done the right way or the way that you're expected. Right. So that's that's the I can I can give that answer. But that's actually the probably the hardest part, because that takes a lot a long time um, and it's it's contextual. Right. Mm-hmm. But a shortcut um, would be to get an advisor or a mentor who is technical mm-hmm. and have them be, you know, your eyes when, when you can't actually see into the code or speak the language. Um, so, you know, for folks out there who are non-technical and then you end up working with an agency or uh, an engineer as a, as, a found, as a co-founder or someone else who is technical, you can assess their work and their, you know, and their output by having a trusted advisor or friend also look at their work, especially if that person is technical. You know, so that's that would be the shortcut. 
but nonetheless, you know, if if the if the knowledge gap is that different between two different partners, you know, it just means that both of them are going to have to work hard to close that gap over time. Mm. I like it. Well, I mean, you obviously have uh, a talent for picking uh, teams, you know, being at your startup. You know, we did it. Not only one 500K was also selected as startup of the year from the Wall Street Journal a little while back. Um, mm-hmm. I guess my question would be how once you receive this honor and, of course, winning the money and things like that, how did that level of success or that recognition affect your work ethic? You know, because sometimes people, they, they rest on their laurels or. You know, sometimes it's said that success could be the biggest disabler of um, of growth or evolution. Right, right. Well, you know, while I'm I'm extraordinarily proud about the things that uh, my company has accomplished, and and especially the people that I'm working with, just seeing them um, grow as entrepreneurs and developers and engineers. Um, I don't think my work ethic nor theirs had changed at all during this uh, during this rise in terms of raising extra money or getting notarized, uh, uh, acknowledged by the Wall Street Journal and other publications. Mm-hmm. If anything, it made us more it made us hungrier for the next stage of the business because it, it, it you know getting recognized feels great, but ultimately it validates you. It makes you understand that people are watching and people recognize the work you're doing and that in and of itself is a is a great feeling and a great honor but specifically when you do raise money from investors and you have to essentially repay it through you know returns right that's when the, that's when more pressure is on so you know at no time do we take our foot off the gas or or rest on our laurels um, if anything, you know, winning extra money or raising money from from more investors just made us work harder mm-hmm. because we had more pressure on us from now outside forces who are looking at our business and waiting for us to hit certain milestones. OK, so here's a, here's a concept that one of my friends said that I think is interesting. I'd like to get your input on it. Uh, he talked about. Uh, you know, sometimes people like you close around the funding and then people will go and celebrate with the money that essentially they now owe. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like you have this extravagant party. Then it's kind of like, OK, well, you probably already just put yourself five grand, 10 grand in the hole. Um, what, what are your thoughts around that? Because I love what you said about, you know, understanding that, hey, we won this money, but we have to pay it back. You know. Return. Yeah. You know, I, to, I fortunately we have never done anything like that. Uh-huh. Um but then again, it, there's probably a correlation between how much money you raise or win mm-hmm. and the level of celebration that you have. Gotcha. So, you know, you know, we, we, we haven't won enough money for me to feel like we, it's worth celebrating, uh, you know, in, in a significant way mm-hmm. um, or in an expensive way. Mm-hmm. But what I, what I would say to that, though, is, you know, it's it is important to celebrate the wins and that's something that I don't do enough. You know, my, my girlfriend tells me that all the time that, you know, I don't celebrate the small things and even the big things when it, when we are hitting certain goals and milestones or, or have good news, mm-hmm. but you do have to be responsible as a founder or a leader of a company. 
and when you're borrowing money or raising money from investors and there's all these strings attached, being responsible means spending that money wisely. So, you know, there isn't, this isn't as black and white as, you know, just don't do it because I'm sure there are reasons why, you know, throwing like a small office party um, would be justified if you raise a big enough round of funding and you want to commemorate this moment with your team and also build company morale. You know, I think there is a way to do it that's not going to raise eyebrows, but at the end of the day, you do need to be responsible. You have a fiduciary responsibility to your shareholders or your investors. So, um, you know, hopefully, you know, people are self-aware enough to not do the wrong thing while also still, you know, celebrating these these great moments in their lives and in the lives of their companies. Okay. I like it. How do you go about setting and achieving milestones for your company? Like, can you break it down for us maybe in, uh, you know, maybe five to ten tangible steps? Doesn't have to be that many, but, you know, when you decide, okay, this is a goal that we're going to focus on, you know, then how do you guys go about benchmarking or making sure that it's executed on? Sure. This is something that I'm trying to get better at, to be honest, but I have had some success in, you know, creating new goals for the business and then communicating that those goals and the strategy for achieving them um, effectively throughout the team. So, you know, starting out, you know, you want to think about where where you want to be in six months, 12 months, two years or, or whatever the time frame. Right. So you got to have like a, a time based horizon for what you're trying to accomplish. Then what I do simply is to work backwards. I try to figure out or assume the different steps that I need to take in order to, you know, be wherever I want to be one year from now or two years from now. Now, for sure, those steps may not be 100 percent accurate, but. What, what I'm doing, though, is, is giving myself like a very basic roadmap or like a, a timeline for the major events or milestones or things that I need to do in order to reach my goal, which might be a much more long term vision. So, you know, just working backwards helps you kind of do that and essentially breaking down that long term goal into smaller, more reasonable, affordable uh, milestones. Then after that point, once you've got these like milestones or these smaller, you know, uh, steps or stages in hitting your goal, you got to create strategy, right? Like you got to figure out, um, how can I say, like a theme or a process for accomplishing these milestones. Um, so, you know, a, maybe an example would be, right, if I wanted to... Uh, make a million dollars in one year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, from that larger goal, I might break down how much money I need to make on a monthly basis to get to a million dollars, you know, after a year or in 12 months. Okay. So now that I know a million divided by 12 is 83, Yeah. Right. Like 84 grand yep. or sorry, 800. Yeah. About 84 grand. Um, now that I have that, I got to figure out, okay, how do I get to 84 grand each month? Right. Right. So like, 
as you as you kind of work backwards, you, your your goals get smaller and smaller, and your objective gets more um, achievable. Mm-hmm. But once you get to a point where it feels like okay, you have you zeroed in on what you got to do, you got to actually, you know, write out or clarify what are the activities that are going to help you execute that specific milestone or execute that that particular objective. So, you know, in the case of this example, making 84 grand a month, now I would start thinking about what jobs or uh, or things I can sell or things I can do that can um, generate for me 84 grand each month. Right. right. So now that I have like an idea of what these activities are, I got to actually spend the time doing those things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and most importantly, and this is this is what will sum it up. You have to have discipline, an unwavering discipline and commitment to those activities, because the activities are the building blocks for your strategy, which are then in turn the building blocks to your milestones and then and therefore the larger goal so that's that's essentially how i kind of break down larger goals into smaller things that are achievable Mm -hmm. um all the way down to the specific activities that will lead me on a path to reaching that that goal in the future okay and does that apply to your personal goals as well do you use the same uh formula for your company as well as for yourself or does it differ uh, I think generally, yeah, I probably have, uh, there's probably a, some similarities between how I um, approach my social life or the things that I want to do personally um, as, as the way I approach business. Um, but I, I would admit that when it comes to like my social goals or, or personal life, I'm probably not as like detailed Um, cause I am a very social person. I kind of like, I like to go with the flow, Mm -hmm. but for sure I do have, uh, you know, a direction with what I'm doing, even when it comes to hanging out with friends or trying to make new friends. Um, you know, I know what, what I'm, what I'm going to do and why I'm, I'm in a certain situation or going to certain events. I have a purpose. So, you know, having that level of direction and, um, uh, yeah, having another direction makes it easy for me to be deliberate about how I spend my time and who I spend it with. So I think that's where the, the similarities are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm probably not as regimented when it comes to, you know, my social life, right? Because I, I do like to be a little bit more laid back. Okay. Sometimes on a journey, you um, you can become burned out, but you don't really have time to be burned out and you are tired. What are some of the rituals or, or things that you do in order to remain and stay motivated while you're working to achieve this amazing uh, work that you've been doing? Yeah, I love this question because I think about it all the time. Um, so for one, the uh, there's two things or two ways I want to answer the question. One, how to avoid burnout or limit it uh, from the from the from the jump start. And the way to do that is to choose to work on projects or at companies or in ventures where you're going to enjoy the process more than the end result. At this point, I love what I do with We Did It, and I, I'm falling in love with the work that I'm doing with Dollar Ride, 
Um, and although we have long-term goals and, you know, things that are, you know, huge, huge, uh, you know, stamp posts for us that are in the future, on a day-to-day basis, I do enjoy what I'm doing. So it's, it's much more difficult for me to get burnt out because I'm, I'm actually enjoying the process as I go through it. And um, I chose to work in this type of work because I did enjoy it for itself, not for the big payout in the future. Mm-hmm. So that's one way I think the listeners or anyone who's an entrepreneur or budding entrepreneur mm-hmm. can kind of hack the system and avoid burnout uh, for a longer term is to choose something that you really love doing and then figure out how to make money off of that later, mm-hmm. right? And then the, the second thing I was going to say is um, to avoid burnout while you're already in the thick of things, you want to you want you want to take time out periodically to refresh by removing yourself completely from the work. Um, and what I mean by that is like at least in the very least, do it physically, mm-hmm. right? Step away from the job, step away from the office, step away from the computer, and spend a significant amount of time not doing those things mm-hmm. and it can be really liberating and refreshing right so that that this can include going on vacation um it could include you know spending an hour or a couple of hours each week uh exercising or some doing some physical activity mm-hmm. but the point is, is that you want to get yourself in a different mental state by removing all the things that cause you a lot of stress Right. And if you do this periodically, mm-hmm. um, as well as for short periods of time, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it can be a real refresher. Right. So that's something that I try to do. I don't do it enough for sure, but um, I love taking long walks. And on those long walks, I'm not, you know, emailing. I'm just thinking about the future or thinking about particular problems that I might be facing in the company or with personnel Mm -hmm. and undoubtedly it's on those long walks when i'm away from my computer away from the office away from all the distractions is when i have my biggest big breakthroughs and moments of clarity about the next step in our venture how often do you personally take these long breaks or unplug and step away how often do you do that and like do you meditate or do anything else as well Hmm. Meditation, no, not not uh, deliberately, mm-hmm. but I do. Um, I do like. How can I explain? I do purposely remove myself from work in order to get into deep thought for a, a significant amount of time. So when um, sometimes in the shower to be honest. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Like, um, you know, I'm notorious for taking half hour or sometimes like 40 minute showers. Okay. And (laughs) it's, it's, it's because while I'm in the shower, I don't have my phone. I don't have a computer. I'm not deliberately thinking about specific work related stuff, but I can get into a mindset that allows me to think more long-term or more broadly. And, this is pretty similar to the the mental state that I get into when I take a long walk. So, you know, in terms of my frequency, 
I'd probably get at least half an hour to an hour of, you know, deep thought or some type of activity where I'm moved away from, you know, work once a week. Mm -hmm. Right. So about an hour for once a week, I try to do something um, which could be, you know, a long walk or uh, a, a couple of long showers or, you know, maybe going out um, to a museum or something. Uh, I do these things at least once a week so that I can mentally recharge and, and gain a new perspective on what's going on in, our, in, our, in my company. Beautiful people, if you enjoyed this episode of the Create Your Life series, be sure to download it from our podcast, which is available on createyourlifeseries.com, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Music. Also, be sure to leave a review of the podcast. You can catch us live on Sundays from 5.30 to 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time via 90.3 FM in New York or on Facebook Live at facebook.com backslash kevbrown1. We encourage you to participate in the conversation on Facebook or call in at 212-650-6903. Follow us on Instagram at CYL series and at Kevin Y. Brown. Be blessed and we'll see you back here live next week. Create your life. Create a proper vie. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life. On schedule. You better create your life. Create your life. Create your life. Create your life.